0: As I was reading through our scripture for today, I couldn't help but see this pattern of blurriness coming into focus, right, of blindness versus sight. See, the story uh, and the interactions in this passage, they play out kind of like a magic eye, uh, where we're going to track the progression of a man who was born blind, and, and he was given a miracle. He was given his sight, Jesus restores his physical sight, just like the magic eye. His understanding of what happened and who did it starts out just as this messy pattern. And, and you know with these things, you focus, you unfocus, the 3D image starts to pop out, but you're not quite sure what it is, right? Your eyes have done the work, but now your mind has to actually interpret what, interpret what it is you're actually looking at, all the while trying not to lose focus. The object becomes a little discernible, and then you slowly see it clearly, and you've got it, and it's easy, but, you, but you're, you're trying to figure out what it is, uh, and once you find it, it's easier to find it again, but not everyone can see it, right? Some people just see a messy pattern, and we're going to see both of these responses today in John chapter 9, and as the passage progresses, John is going to bring Jesus into focus, So we've been walking through the Gospel of John together for a month now. Uh, We've been looking at Jesus' signs, these miracles that point to who Jesus is, and they point to why he came. And we've been looking at his statements, too, when Jesus tells us who he is plainly, right? When he says, like last week, before Abraham was, I am. And he's basically making this statement that I'm eternal, I'm God, right? As you spend time in these passages are you seeing a pattern? Right? People encounter Jesus, whether it's his mother, whether it's a rich royal official, whether it's this poor blind man, right? And they see him as one thing. And then and then John brings him into focus. Right? Mary at, at the at the wedding, when she wanted Jesus to help with the with the lost wine, she needed her understanding of her son recalibrated, right? We saw the royal official whose child got healed by Jesus. We saw his faith start to progress. And now we're going to see the vision of this blind man come into focus. And John's purpose is not just to tell great stories, because he's a great storyteller. His purpose is that we would recalibrate our understanding of Jesus, that we would progress in our faith uh, like the royal official, and that we would see Right? And that we would believe and that we would live. That's the big message of the Gospel of John. Everything you're reading there is written with the purpose that you would believe and live. That's what he says. And so in the chapter before today's passage, Jesus declares in the temple, I am the light of the world, right? bringing light to the darkness. And as we heard when Rosalind read our passage, Jesus comes upon this blind man who was born blind and he heals him. He brings light to his darkness. Right, And the man's neighbors are amazed. Some of them look at him and say, yes, this is the guy. This is the same guy that's been begging. This is the guy that we pass every day. And others say, nah, he just looks like that guy. They ask him, who did the healing? And the man says, the man they called Jesus. They ask where he is, and the guy says, I don't know. So the next logical thing for them to do after that is is to, after it's like such an act of God, is to go to the religious authorities of their day. And so they go to this group called the Pharisees. These are the guys who were the experts. And so there's no indication that they're trying to get this man in trouble by bringing him to the Pharisees. They're probably genuinely curious about how they should interpret this event that's happened right before their eyes, right? This was a man who they all knew, right? He was part of the furniture. He he uh, was there when they were walking by him, right, daily. He's just sitting there begging. Everybody recognized him. Maybe they helped him. Maybe they ignored him. Maybe they just walked by. But either way, he was blind, and now he can see. And so they're going to bring him to the folks who teach everyone else how to see, right? The, the folks with spiritual insight, how to interpret spiritual things, right? The Pharisees. And we're going to spend most of our time uh, in, chap- in chapter 9, verses 13 through 41, since Rosalind read the first part. Uh, so that's where we're going to be camping out. Uh, and John writes this beautifully, right? There's this developing contrast that we're going to see between blindness and sight between darkness and light and so we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about the blindness of the pharisees first and then we're going to talk about the sight of the blind man so let's pick up where the scripture reading left off jesus has healed this man no one knows where jesus is and so they're gonna talk to their spiritual leaders they're gonna talk to the experts they're gonna talk to the priests John writes in verse 13, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. So that's an important detail. It was the Sabbath. It sets up the interaction that's to come. This is healing happened on the Sabbath, on, on the day of rest. And it's not the first time Jesus has done this. In chapter 5, he healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, and he caught a lot of flack for it. Why does it matter, right? To our ears, Jesus healing on the Sabbath, that's just telling us the particular day when he did this. So we need to ask, why did John put it in there? What what makes this day significant, right? He put it in there for a reason. See, they had this code back then of 39 prohibitions. It was called the Mishnah Shabbat. It prohibited any non life saving healing on the Sabbath. It was supposed to be a day of rest and a day that we trust God, and and that part is in the Bible. But you know how humanity uh, we like to take things to the next level, right? And so this oral law had some extra stipulations that the Bible didn't have. Uh, it also prohibited kneading bread. And why does that matter? Uh, because Jesus made this mud, right? and and it's so funny it seems like it's such a simple thing but but john makes sure to point out the day that he made the mud was on the sabbath and so this could resemble kneading bread and and bring some accusation upon him as well can you see how this might have been used just to target the people that you don't like right you know scripture gets used like that too Uh, Some folks blindly use it as a weapon instead of an invitation to a deep and dynamic relationship with the living God. And so there's a lesson already for believers, for the religious. There's a caution already in this passage that's going to come to focus as we dive deeper we're going to look at three interrogations that the Pharisees conduct. Uh, and the big question that they're asking, the question that they're going to ask over and over again, is how were his eyes open? How did he receive sight? Right? It's the same question the guy's friends ask. So they So they ask him, and he responds in verse 15. He says, he put mud on my eyes. I washed, and I can see. That's how he did it. He tells them how it happened, the process he went through. But is that actually what they're looking for when they ask him this question? It doesn't seem like a satisfying answer. See, they're less interested in the Process, and they're more interested in the power behind the healing. Where did it come from? Where does this guy come from? And it's shown in their immediate response to this guy. He says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. They seem like they want to know whether or not Jesus is from God. And since he's broken the Sabbath rule, some conclude that there can't be any way that he would be from God. If he were from God, he'd keep the Sabbath that God gave them, right? But others were saying, verse 15, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So there are two logical thoughts on this. The first is a conclusion. The second is a question, right? The the first is from this one group, and they're saying, he can't be from God because he performs miracles on the Sabbath. He must be sinful, the second is a question how could he be sinful and still execute the power of God Right the first group is convinced and the second is curious And and even here just like uh with the former blind man's friends there's this division is he is he this guy or is he not this guy right and now they're asking is Jesus from God or is he not From God. And so they discuss this among themselves and they decide to ask the question they really meant to ask in the beginning. They ask the former blind man, verse 17, well, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. He's a prophet, right? Can you see this picture of Jesus starting to come into focus? Right? Earlier, when his friends ask him who healed him, he says, the man they call Jesus. Right now, even in the intimidating presence of these religious authorities, he says, he's a prophet. Things are coming into focus. There are stories of prophets performing healings all throughout the Old Testament. There are plenty of them. There's actually even a similar one where a female prophet tells a man to go wash in a pool for healing. And so this, this blind man, this formerly blind man, he's starting to connect the dots, right? He's, he's starting to see. He doesn't have the full, clear picture of Jesus yet, but things are coming into focus. But this is the most important question the Bible asks us, right? What do you say about Jesus? Right? Who is he? And scripture answers that question, but maybe you're here and that picture is still fuzzy, Maybe you're here and, and your eyes have been opened and you see him and you know him and you love him. But either way, as you think about the question, who is he? Come to his word with curiosity, right? God uses his word to clarify our picture of Jesus. All of us need our picture of Jesus clarified by the word of God. And so they ask him who Jesus is, and he says a prophet. Now will they respond with curiosity? Probably not, right? Verse eighteen: The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received a sight. He says Jesus is a prophet, right? And and now they don't believe his story at all. It's not how. Do, it's not what do you make of this man? Now it's like, oh, we actually don't believe that this happened to you, right? As Jesus becomes clearer to him. He becomes less clear to them. There's this phenomenon that's happening, right, where where this is getting lighter and this is getting darker. It's almost like they know the answer that they want, and they're going to keep asking him questions until they get it, right, until they get that confirmation that they've already kind of made up in their mind. That's what happens when we approach Jesus with answers instead of questions, right, with conclusions instead of curiosity, Whether believer or non-believer, this is a good time in the sermon to ask ourselves, do I come to Jesus or or even do I come to the idea of Jesus with my own answers or do I come with questions? Do I come with conclusions or do I come with curiosity in pride or in humble acknowledgement that we don't have it all figured out? Even if you believe in him already, we worship an infinite and eternal God. There's always more to know about him. There's always deeper to go with him in our relationship with him. So when they don't get this, the answer uh, that they want, they go deeper into their own darkness, into their own blindness, further and further away from the real answer. And they call this man's parents. Verse 19. They asked him, "Is this your They asked them, "Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see?" That same question, right? How does he see now? "We know this is our son and that he was born blind," his parents answered, "but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age; he will speak for himself." John explains after this that they're actually keeping their testimony to the bare minimum because people who were confessing Jesus as the Messiah, they were being thrown out of the synagogue, excommunicated for their, from their spiritual community, their lifelines, their families, their, the bastion of peace and culture that they had left uh, when they were occupied by Rome, right? This is their religion. This is how they maintained their identity. They're being thrown out for calling Jesus the Messiah. And there's another important detail. See, we now know that the Pharisees are out to avoid the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. They're out to discredit. They're out to disprove that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the real answer that they're looking for. So among them, right, some of them might be seeking the truth. There are those who are questioning, but there are a lot of them who are bent on suppressing it. And so the parents just say, yes, he was born blind, but he's, a, he's an adult. Go let him speak for himself. If you're a scary person, right, if you're scary, don't expect people to tell you the truth. Right? These guys were scary. <laughs> Nobody wanted to tell them the truth. Right? I try to say this as much as I can because, you know, we have this obligation to speak truth to one another, Right? Even even to scary people, we need to be bold and speak truth. But we also have an obligation to seek the truth. right? And if you have a hard exterior, you need to think about how you can make yourself approachable. Because in the end, uh, you are responsible for yourself. If you miss the truth, you're responsible for yourself. Nobody else is fully responsible for you the way you are responsible for you. So ask yourself, how do I respond when I hear hard truth about myself, about my behavior, about my decisions, about God, right? Do you deny, do you discredit, or do you disconnect, you know, the way the Pharisees disconnect with anybody who's calling Jesus the Messiah, Do you counterattack to scare people away or even preemptively do that so you don't have to hear it? Do you avoid it altogether? Do you ghost people, right? Just remove yourself from their life with no notice? If that's your practice, you're the one who's suffering. See, what if instead we were proactive and we asked people to tell us the truth? What if we worked at making it safe for people to tell us the truth? We definitely make their lives easier, right? And we would make our lives better. Jesus is the light in the darkness. I mean, that's the opposite of what these Pharisees are doing. It's the opposite of what they're looking for. They're not looking for a light in the darkness. But look who they're missing, right? The one that they've waited for, the one that they've been looking for is standing right there. And because of their own scariness, their own unwillingness to hear truth, their own patterns, like people are, are too scared to tell them. Right? Ask yourself, can people approach me with the truth? And so the parents tell them to call the son again, and they do. They call him back, and, and they've let go of any notion of this like false tenderness that maybe they had in the beginning, and they just say to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, Give glory to God. It's a very ironic demand of this man, considering who has healed him, right? They don't mean praise God for the healing. Give glory to God. It was a, a way of saying, stop lying. Fess up. We know this man's a sinner. They're certain that Jesus is just a sinner. And in verse 25, he answers, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind, and now I see. One thing I do know. I was blind, and now I see. See, we don't always have the answers, right, when we're, when we're being interrogated, even when our faith is being interrogated. And, and this man doesn't have all the answers that these guys want from him. They're interrogating him beyond his own understanding. But does that mean that he's wrong? no just because he doesn't have their answers it doesn't mean that he's wrong about jesus one thing i do know i was blind and now i see so you'll never have the answer all the answers right uh, and and we're at the point in in our journey uh, sometimes where we can't explain all the, the theological details of the work that God has done in our lives. Maybe we can't write a paper or a treatise on it or answer every skeptic's question. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. There's no denying it. But there's no discrediting it. And so they've got to be stunned because these Pharisees, they answer him, uh, they ask, respond by asking him the same question that they've already asked two times. It, it's getting to the point of absurdity. It's, it's getting to the point of comedy. It's really 2,000-year-old comedy that John is writing, and that's, that's on purpose. People actually had senses of humor back then. Uh, and this is colorful, Right, So then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the guy says, I already told you, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? And this is one of my favorite dialogues in in the Bible, because this healed man, he's getting tired of the antics, and he kind of quips back this question, this sarcastic question that has an obvious answer, right? But it gets him in trouble, Verse 28, they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. Now, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. And the man responds, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And so this this guy's teaching the teachers. And how do they respond? Verse 34, you were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you are trying to teach us? And they throw him out. Their efforts to deny it, their efforts to discredit it, they've fallen flat. And so the only thing they have left to do is to disconnect, right, to cut this guy off, to throw him out. And it probably includes what we were talking about, throwing him out of the synagogue, disconnecting him from community, right? They insult him, and they throw him out. They jab at his past. They tell him that he was born entirely in sin. It was common to believe that ailments like blindness— Were judgments from God on the sins of a parent or the sins of a child, even child—that this idea that a child could sin in the womb and then cause themselves to be blind? But there's no evidence in the Bible for such a broad, sweeping practice. Uh, There are times when judgment comes upon folks for rebellion against God. Think back to the plagues in Egypt when Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go, right? And God was putting the pressure on them in that way. But sickness itself is not the result of individual sin, right? I mean, most of the time, I mean, if you get cancer, it's not always in, as a result of individual sin. And and Jesus says that to his disciples at the beginning of this passage. Uh, and it's important to note that because sometimes there's this idea that if you just had enough faith, you know, you could you know not be sick or you can uh you know heal your sickness and the reason why you're suffering is because you don't have enough faith in god and that is really a form of toxic positivity and it's not biblical jesus says that this man didn't sin but this came about so that the works of god might be displayed in him jesus was going to give sight to this blind man not just physically but spiritually and so we've looked at the blindness of the religious authorities. Now let's look at the sight of the blind man. You, you've seen how uh, his focus is now like clearing up, right, on this, on this man's picture of who Jesus is. Who, who is this man that healed him, right? And, and what does this sign mean? Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And before we get to the son of man part, can we just talk about how uh, Jesus had heard that this man was thrown out, and he goes and finds him. Jesus seeks him out. He's not a a magician. He's not a drive-by healer. He's not a one-and-done interaction. Jesus loves this man, right? And he loves us. He comes and finds this man, and he comes and finds us. And he asks this question, do you believe in the Son of Man? And Son of Man is just one of Jesus' favorite ways to refer to himself. It harkens back to Old Testament prophecies about, uh, about the Messiah coming. Uh, it's another way to say Son of God, right? And we've heard it in uh, uh, now asked in this passage before, what did he do, you know? What did he do? The Pharisees asked. How did he do it? Uh, What do you say about him? That's an important question. But the really, really important question is, do you believe in him? The man responds with a question in verse 36. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. I believe, Lord, and he worshipped him. And Jesus didn't just come from God. He is God. That's why this man worshipped him. And the picture is now clear to this guy. Jesus is in focus, and, and when he sees him there, there's just no going back, right? And he, he worships him. And he's in public, right? Jesus sums up this whole vignette in verse 39. He says, I came to this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. The blind will see and those who see will become blind. What does that mean? We can look back uh, on this story to find out. It starts with this blind man and Jesus, right? And Jesus gives him sight. And he puts uh, he's put through a pretty intense questioning by some pretty powerful people, right, this man? But throughout, he maintains humility, he maintains curiosity, and above all, he, he maintains this disposition that he is limited in his understanding. And so as they press him with questions, he has to come to an answer for himself about what happened and who did it. He starts to think of Jesus as a prophet. And then he starts to think about Jesus as someone from God. And then he has another interaction with Jesus after he's rejected and alone. And he finally sees Jesus as the Son of Man. He sees him as the Messiah, the Son of God, right? Not just from God, but God himself. I was blind, but now I see. I came into this world for judgment, Jesus said, in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Right? Jesus came to give sight to the blind. And the first step is admitting your own blindness. Because look at the alternative. right? Those who think they can see. They, they call this man and his family for questioning. They bombard him only to make statements, right? to reach their own conclusions about him based off of what they know based on what they want to be true, and out of fear that Jesus is, in fact, superior. right? They don't want Jesus to be the Messiah because that would mean Jesus is on the throne, right? And, and that's a throne that they're sitting on, right? Jesus is the light of the world, and light can illuminate so that we can see, right? But also bright light that can blind when you're in the darkness, and they're blinded. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees who were with him, they heard this conversation, right? They heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? And Jesus said in verse 41, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Remember, this passage started with Jesus' disciples seeing a blind man and attributing his physical blindness to sin. And now the passage is closing, right? And Jesus is talking to those who think they can see. And he's telling them that they're spiritually blind because of their sin. He's telling them they wouldn't have sin if they would admit that they were blind. But since they say they can see, their sin remains. Now, what is their sin? Their sin is rejecting Jesus. Right? Jesus lived a sinless life, the Son of God. Right? He took our sin upon himself when he was crucified. And it's the very people who believed that they could see that were so blind that they murdered God in the flesh. Right, And he, he went into darkness, Right, sealed in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose, the light of the world. And he promises eternal life for everybody who believes in him. And so you see, this man who received his sight—he got so much more than that. When we looked at, uh, at Jesus, when he looked at Jesus, and he said, "Lord, I believe," right? He gained so much more than just his physical sight. Jesus paid the price for our blindness. Jesus paid the price for our sin. But to reject him is a sin that God will not forgive. That's why he says to the Pharisees, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sinned. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. See, you can deny Jesus. You can try to discredit Jesus. But ultimately, that leads you to remaining disconnected from Jesus. This is the judgment that Jesus mentions. And it's not a popular thing to talk about. And as long as we live, it's not too late to ask God to open our eyes, to come with curiosity and questions. Right? And for those of us who already believe in him, let's stay curious. Right? Let's come to his word knowing that we still need him to open our eyes. We still need his grace daily, just like the old hymn, Amazing Grace. Right, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. In 1772, a pastor in England named John Newton wrote this song. His history was ugly. You might know this or not know this about him. He spent a number of years working in the slave trade. He was known for his harshness and his heartlessness. Even his fellow slave traders and coworkers were shocked by his depravity. But on March 21st, in 1748, during an 11 hour storm that was likely to destroy his ship and likely to kill him and his crew, he begged God for mercy, even though he knew he had lived this, his entire life rejecting God and, and sinning greatly against his fellow image bearers. I mean, sin that you would think is unforgivable. And he survived. And his journey of faith began. He came to read and understand God's word, and he eventually became a pastor. He denounced the slave trade. He eventually teamed up with a guy named William Wilberforce and successfully fought to end slavery in England. This is a life changed by Jesus. And as he was on his deathbed, his eyesight was fading, and his memory was fading too, he said these words, or he wrote these words, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. He ended his life with dim eyes and a faded memory, but a bright and vibrant picture of Jesus. I was blind, but now I see. May we all have such a clear vision of Jesus when that day comes for us.